Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing to work our way through the Gospels. This is Gospels part 34. Last week we saw where Jesus and his disciples were leaving the Galilee and Judea and having to actually escape the growing influx of crowds that were wanting to come and hear him and more than likely wanting to experience his healing. Um, And we had this distinction between people wanting to experience the kingdom life with abundance and healing and no oppression and sickness, but maybe not understanding what kingdom life actually takes in repentance and changing your actual lifestyle with your choices and your actions and following Torah. Right. Um, we're also seeing a progression with before Jesus would heal someone by speaking or speaking, you know, something into action and then touching the person. And now people are coming up to him without his, um, consent even to touch his garments or to touch his part of his body to be healed which is very interesting um and then the the gospel writer of matthew uses this old testament reference to talk about how jesus in this specific dynamic of being secretive in a lot of aspects of making himself known to be the messiah to people that he heals as fulfilling that messiah the suffering servant the son of uh, Joseph role that the Jews have looked into for centuries as someone who is meek and you know suffers for the sake of the sins of his people and his nation. Now Jesus is fulfilling that in his lifetime here in his first coming. And yeah. we ended up with uh, Jesus going up to a mountain and praying all night long to kind of decide who he's going to choose as his main disciples that are going to follow him for the rest of his ministry and then we kind of went through a crash course of all 12 of them (laughs) their names their nicknames how some of them are connected to one another and maybe what they're known for among um, church history i guess right yeah that was quite a crew we put together huh yeah ragtag team yeah not really what you might imagine if you were trying to put this together yourself but that's why God's God, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, you know what, Samuel? I've been waiting a long time for this day. <laughs> I know you have. <laughs> yeah, we're finally here. So uh, let's get started. We got to do just a little bit of, uh, you know, scene setting to start. But then the Sermon on the Mount. Da, da, da. This is going to be a good day, well, many, many, many days, I'm guessing, but whatever. (laughs) Let's Let's do it. it. All right, so we're going to read first from Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. It says this, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. 
and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Okay, so this is good because the last place we ended up was the picking the 12, and and this is good because that's kind of where Luke had left off before, so this is a really nice segue. Luke writes that they come down, uh, he comes down with those disciples, and and they get to a level place. Now, here's the thing, we're going to see similarities between some of the things that are written in Luke, some of the things that are written in Matthew, but... The weird thing is right here, this, you know, Luke is making a point that they come down to a level place, and Matthew's, we're going to see in a second, talks about him going up on a mountain. So, uh, this has led to what we're seeing from the Luke version of this story being referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. And, uh, you know, uh, here's the thing. Are these the same? Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, is all happened at the same time? I don't know, maybe. Is it possible that Jesus said the same things in more than one place at more than one time? (laughs) Yeah, not even just maybe, more like probably. And so, you know, we could be talking about two different instances. We could be talking about the same things, whatever. We're not going to worry too much about it. Just know that uh, that's one of the things that this is called. So if you ever hear that phrase, you're now familiar with it. And also notice, this, this was very interesting. It's a great crowd of disciples. And then additionally, there's a great multitude. So we've seen things like this in the story so far. Uh, We've got, you know, large crowds coming from a large geographic area and, you know, seeking healing. They want uh, help with their unclean spirits, all that stuff. But at least at this point, I think maybe there's an improvement here, Samuel, because it says they came to hear him. So, you know... If you're looking for a silver lining, you got that. At least, you know, they're interested in something. And then, I don't know if you caught this, Luke also says something again about power. Do you remember the last time we made uh, some sort of a, we we noticed Luke talking about power and Jesus? I'm I'm worried that we haven't got to this story yet. I know that there's the story about the woman with the discharge that touches him, and he he noticed that power had gone out of him. Yeah, yeah, no, earlier in the podcast, we were talking, he was somewhere in a synagogue, and it said the power was with him to heal. Remember that? Yep. Yeah, and so now Luke says, for power came out from him and healed them all, right? So Luke, he's, he's kind of picking up on this thing. He seems to be laying it out there for us, maybe so we see the pattern. Um, Like in Greek, this is pretty simple. It's just like the general word for power, nothing exceptional you would think of. If we were to try to trace this back to the Hebrew, um, it might take on something more like a military connotation, so it's even a little more powerful. But I don't know how much that matters. Here's the important point. In this picture, when when Luke says things like this, that, you know, the, the power was with him to heal, or power came out from him and healed them all, we can see, we can see this Jesus as a human filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit working through him, right? So it's an it's important image to see, just kind of kind of hold on to that. So Luke, Luke helps us with that. And then, okay, so here's the other setup in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It's very short. He says this, See, in the crowds, he went up on the mountain. 
And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So slightly different kind of setup here because, uh, well, for one thing, uh, Jesus seems to be wanting to get away from the crowds. You know, call that whatever you want. I understand it. I don't like crowds, but whatever. But then it also says that he went up. And uh, what's interesting, Luke is finishing from the choosing of the 12. Matthew is continuing um, just where he had just called like Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they went on a little preaching and healing tour. So, that you know, the stories, at least if you were trying to read the Gospels in their own sequence, they would feel a little out of whack or whatever. But anyway, he goes up, up on the mountain, and I mean, okay, well, let's state the obvious. Sermon on the Mount. There you go. He went up on the mountain. Now, the thing is, uh, it's probably, and you know, many people have many guesses, but it's probably that same place that we've already talked about. Remember in the Sea of Galilee, there was a place where warm water was entering, made the fishing good? Mm -hmm. Those seven springs of, I don't remember what it was, Tagba or something like that. And then we also noticed that Jesus had gone there for other reasons, just trying to get away. And so many think that this is the same place where those seven springs were, up up in that same spot. And I, here's another one, Samuel. Think about, now, of course, we don't know this from the text yet, but Jesus is going to talk a lot about Torah. So where somewhere in the Old Testament, Samuel, where someone goes up on a mountain and it has something to do with Torah? It's got to be Moshe, also known <laughs> as right. Moses. Yeah, Moses going up to Sinai, that's where he he actually receives the Torah. And what we're going to see is Jesus, you know, I think what Matthew's trying to paint a picture of is he's going up on the mountain and he's going to expound on that same Torah. So I don't know, I thought that's kind of cool. And then uh, just to point it out, he sits down. Why do we sit down, Samuel? Because in Jewish culture the act of a rabbi or a teacher sitting down indicated that he was about to start a teaching and that like focus and attention was needed. Yeah. And as soon as he sits down, it says his disciples came to him. They knew exactly what to do. It was time to listen. Mm -hmm. So, and now another interesting point, uh, I don't know if I'll remember it by the time we get to chapter eight, so I may as well talk about it now. Jesus begins teaching his disciples you know, it, it, at least from Matthew's perspective, it feels like he's teaching the disciples only. Uh, and we don't really know how many that is or whatever. But what's cool is by the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it's it talks about the crowds being astonished, right? So somewhere along the way, the crowds join in and they're listening as well and all that kind of thing. So anyway, that's the setup. Yeah, I just I just like that I mean, since I'm a fan of mountains, I don't know what deeper treasures there are with this potential truth about God in the scriptures, but there seems to be an emphasis of God interacting with his people within a mountain setting. Like you yeah. mentioned Moses, but I can think of at least a handful of other characters. Like didn't Jacob have an encounter with God with the dream about the ladders on the top of a mountain and didn't Elijah... Uh, he wanted to to die on on top of a mountain whenever God met him with the still small voice, um, and even the prophecy of the kingdom, like all of Isaiah chapter two, has this imagery of God's mountain being established among 
all of the rest of the mountains of the world and that people are going to say, like, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord to hear his teaching. So, yeah, I think that as readers of the Gospels, when we hear, at least in Matthew's uh, rendering of the Gospel, whenever he's saying when they went up, that should be a Jewish callback to say, ah, like, we're having some type of experience with God and truth here. Uh, by by the act of going up to a higher place or a mountain. Yeah. yeah, up is always symbolically toward God, right? And yeah, the mountain of God, that's another thing. Uh, there are times when it's literal, but so much of that is also symbolic in the scriptures, that mountain of God. So yeah, all those things, you're right. Okay, so uh, we're going to go, uh, let's see, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. And then I'm going to do something a little bit odd in Luke, because he does something different, he has, you know, uh, the, the blessings and the woes uh, together. Or, well, they're, they're not like actually next to each other, but he has both in there. I'm going to actually read Luke chapter 6, verse 20 and verse 24, because those kind of pair together. So I'm mixing that up a little bit. Don't worry too much about it. At least it'll be in the, the notes. You can follow there. Uh, let's, let's take a look at it. Matthew 5, chapter, two, or chapter 5, verse 2 says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in Luke chapter 6, 20, 24, it says this, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Okay. Now, I'm sure you can tell that there are some similarities, but there's also some differences there. So let's talk about what we got going on. Jesus, um, he's kind of uh, segregated off with his disciples at this point, And it says that he opened his mouth, which today, modern English, we're just going, yeah, you didn't need to tell me that. You know, just sounds like extra words, but it was a Hebrew idiom, right? It was a way of emphasizing that what was being said or about to be said was important. It was, it was sober, right? You, you needed to pay attention to this. So he opened his mouth to teach and, okay, we're finally going to get to actually hear what it was he said. Yeah, enough with the ambiguity. <laughs> yeah, we're finally going to get to hear it. So I'm excited about that. Now, Luke is a little different. He has Jesus, uh, he actually kind of states it like he's with the disciples and the crowds, but then it says he lifted up his eyes. That's another idiomatic way of saying that he's, he's setting his attention or his focus or his gaze on his disciples. So, in, in both instances, the focus of the teaching begins with the disciples. But again, in the end, the crowds show up and they're there for everything, right? So, and now that I've highlighted that Jesus appears to be teaching the disciples specifically, um, you know, we probably should at least say this out loud, the content of the teaching, okay, it, it doesn't appear that it's in any way, you know, secret or for them only. It's for everybody, anybody you might hear. But what you need to be listening for as we go through, there's a very important theme. Sometimes it's going to be more explicit and sometimes maybe just sort of implicit or inferred, but the theme we're looking for is 
the kingdom. And even when we're thinking about the kingdom, we should also remember that last little bit about the now and the not yet. So here we go. First thing it says, blessed. Well, that means to be happy or fortunate or even deeply contented, which of course makes perfect sense. Blessed are you who are poor. (laughs) Huh? Yeah, exactly. Kind of weird, right? But... For what it's worth, what you see Jesus doing here, this isn't something he made up. He is going along with things that already existed. The the Hebrew word, ashray, it's it's very common for the teachers to say, blessed are fill in the blank, and then, you know, something, some, some finish. So it's common in the scripture, it's common in the culture. In fact, you know what, Samuel, go back to Psalm 1. Read me the first couple verses of Psalm 1. One of my favorites. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. See, that could be a whole podcast right there. But that's in Psalms, not the Gospels, so we need to go on. But notice how it started with, blessed is the man. And then it goes on from there. Well, this is the same kind of formula. These are a little bit different, but it's the same thing. So, so Jesus, uh, let's, he's using common vernacular. Um, and we're going to see that some of the statements, like we just pointed out, they feel a little bit contradictory. Deeply contented are the poor. Really? <laughs> Seems like they're struggling. I mean, it's not like poor in America in 2021. This is poor in Israel, occupied Israel in the first century. This is pretty rough stuff. Mm-hmm. But what it does is it serves to emphasize the overall point, the thing that we're talking about, the kingdom. And then, can I just do a personal little side note here? Go for it. Okay. We don't have to pronounce it blessed. (laughs) We don't have to say, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, that that comes from like hymns or something. Somebody had two notes and only one word. They kind of split it up. And Just say blessed. But sometimes I like saying blessed. And you know what? If you do, you go right ahead. I just want you to know, I want to free everybody up. You don't have to say it that way. Okay? Anyway, that's a little side note, personal thing, I whatever. That. Yeah. So blessed. Anyway. He says, poor in spirit. So who are the poor in spirit? Well, these would be people who are uh, humble. Uh, You might even think of frugal or uh, generous, uh, merciful, forgiving. We could probably think of all kinds of words, but it's different from Luke's version, which is simply the poor. And, and what kind of words do you use to describe the poor? Maybe they're, uh, they're lacking, they're destitute. They are lean, if you know what I mean. <laughs> nice. So the question is, which is it? Is it poor or poor in spirit? I mean, there's a difference here. God, God, they can't, what do we do? Well, okay, just for a second, it could be, each of the writers, Luke and Matthew, they're, they're telling the story in a way to fit their agenda. Or, like we said before, it could be that Jesus, you know what? Maybe he said it a different way at different places at different times because of the audience he was talking to or whatever. The point is, I think for us, it's not a contradiction, it's a bonus. 
We can go with both. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about what it means to be poor in the, and what it means to be poor in spirit and how this all works out. So anyway, there you go. Poor, poor in spirit. But here's the, the big, the, I guess the, what are we looking for, right? The, well, theirs is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Same thing. They will attain the kingdom. They will, they will be able to participate in the kingdom. Now, of course, the big finish is in the future, but there's that, that sense of the now and not, not yet. So we get some of it now. But just to, to sort of, again, paint that picture in your mind, this is an upside down kingdom. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. It's another instance of that divine reversal. So those who do not receive good things in this life should expect them in the kingdom. Now, of course, we're going to see as we continue through this, that this all kind of depends on, on a faithfulness toward God. But I just wanted to connect all of these. Uh, by the way, did we mention these are called the Beatitudes? We did now. Yeah, we did now. I, I thought we might connect them back to Old Testament scripture. So, Samuel, how about you read from Isaiah 61.1? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Yeah. And there you have it. Blessed are the poor, bringing good news to the poor. So you kind of see a connection there. And, but but now, now, again, we got poor and we got poor in spirit. So those who live in a, in a mean, uh, meaning, uh, what's another word I'm looking for? I, I went to the hard one. They're doing without on purpose. They're trying to live uh, frugally, you know, that kind of thing. Those who do that now, living in lack is another way. Whether this is by choice or not, if you're poor in spirit, it's probably by choice. If you're poor, it's probably not by choice. But whether by choice or not, there is a real hope. It is the kingdom. See, we can forego the comforts and pleasures in this life for that future hope. So that's kind of like the blending of those two together. That's what we got. Now, remember, though, I added the Luke part about the woes. And the woe is kind of like the uh, dismay or sorrow or grief. And actually, you're going to love the Hebrew word for this, Samuel. Oh, really? Yeah. It's oi. <laughs> right? Yes. That's so good. So that's woe. But just so you can kind of, this actually, I don't think this is actually even related to the thing. I just wanted you to see how woe works in the Old Testament. So maybe read from Isaiah 3, 11. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. Yeah. And the point of that is just to show that, look, blessed are the and woe to the, this, it's all common vernacular. These are things that, this is a very Jewish way of teaching. So the blessed, uh, those who find comfort in the kingdom, and for the woe, those are the ones who find comfort in this world. And that's the dynamic we're playing with. Are you trying to get your fulfillment here, building treasure here, or are you trying to build treasure in heaven? But anyway, Luke says, you who are rich and This is kind of cool. It's not just those who have wealth. What's important is it's the wealthy 
who use their wealth for their own comfort and pleasure. And if we want to put an even stranger twist on it, we could even think you don't even have to be wealthy. You might be poor, but you you use others, manipulate others so that you can, again, fulfill your own comfort and pleasure. But anyway, this is the sense in which they've received their consolation. You get it here, in this life, on this earth, in this age. And that shouldn't be our goal. If a man's wealth is used to help the poor, the disadvantaged, the downtrodden, you know, I guess you could say he's using it for the kingdom, if you want to say it that way, well, they can still look forward to a consolation in the kingdom, just like the actual poor. Again, it's the treasure in heaven versus treasure on earth. I kind of feel like I should say this. We talk a lot about the kingdom. You know, there's the the big overarching story that we work with in the Bible, the big, big ending, like the absolute ultimate end, is the world to come. But we talk a lot about the kingdom because that's the real goal of the scriptures. And there's a a weird little thing. It, it, It is possible for you to miss out on the kingdom and yet still make it into the world to come. But that's a story for another day. I just wanted to say that out loud because, again, when, when, when we're talking about all this kingdom stuff, it's like it's something that you should be pursuing. Seek first the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone put that in your mental filing cabinet for much later down the road. <laughs> it, it is going to be quite a bit later, isn't it? <laughs> but that's okay. This is good stuff. Now, before you move on, I want to ask a question regarding that Isaiah verse that you used as reference when we're painting this dichotomy between the person who's blessed versus the the person who is experiencing woe, particularly that part of the verse that says, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. Now, I'm not promoting new agey talk, but I'm just, that's one of the things I hear among like secular thinking or even new age spirituality of like whatever you know good vibes or good things you give out into the world or to other people you'll get back and my question is like i know that there is an element especially within ecclesiastes where there's like a there's a randomness to some aspect of reality that you know it rains on both the just and the unjust like People experience suffering and hardship regardless if you're a righteous person or a wicked person, but is there an actual biblical like truth and concept to like the good that you do or the bad that you do like will be accounted for later? Like it like it it won't be for naught or it won't be for nothing? Yeah, yeah. This oh, this is a great question. So I don't know if I'm going to pick the exact right word, but what you're talking about, in my mind, that's kind of more like a karma kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't you know? want to say that word, but it, yeah. was in, it was in the back of my mind. Yeah. So, no, that's not what we're talking about. And yet, what we're talking about, I, I mean, it, it's easy to see the, the connections or, or the confusion. We would be talking about a principle uh, probably more commonly referred to as measure for measure. Right now, you think back of the Old Testament. You got like eye for eye and tooth for tooth. 
people really misunderstand that. They, uh, like, uh, well, as Daniel Lancaster says, people weren't just poking out eyes and knocking out teeth. <laughs> That's not how the justice system worked. The idea was you were looking for an equality. You were looking for, look, this was the damage that was done. This is a reasonable and just recompense, okay? So in the same way, to the degree that you forgive, you will be forgiven. It's not karma, it's measure for measure. To the degree degree that you deal out wicked among your fellow man, okay, yeah, you're going to feel the brunt of that. It's measure for measure. So, so I mean, you can you can feel kind of the the similarity there, but but it's got a very very important principle behind it, mm-hmm. right? It's not just that's going to come back to bite me. It's more like ah uh, no, you 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 have to be generous with your goodness if you if you want God to be generous with His goodness toward you, and you shouldn't be doing evil or bad or whatever if you don't want God to, you know, like none of the wrath to come back on you. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much a, the world pays you back, it's it's more in relation to God, yeah. right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So much to talk about. But we're sticking with the Beatitudes. <laughs> All right. So let's go, uh, what's the next one here? Matthew 5, 4. And anyway, this is going to be a little tricky. Uh, this is in Luke chapter 6, and we're going to do the second half of verse 21 and the second half of verse 25. This is a real good time to look at the PDF if you haven't yet. That's right. That's right. So Matthew 5, 4 says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And Luke's kind of similar bit here says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. All right. So here's a question, Samuel. What do you think they would be mourning and weeping about? Uh, well, at least within a Jewish context, they could be weeping about the state of their people as a nation. I mean, they're kind of under Roman oppression. They've experienced exile. They've been in foreign lands in the past. That's definitely something worthy to mourn about. Yeah, those things uh, could be sin, uh, whether their own or maybe the nations. Maybe that's like part of what you're talking about. Death, um, just their circumstance even. I mean, hey, maybe they're really poor. Back to the last one, right? Who knows? That kind of stuff. Well, to be comforted and laugh, I guess maybe what we should ask, it's like, okay, it says that that's what you're going to get. So the question, okay, when? Well, notice the last one was very explicit. That yours is the kingdom of heaven. This one, it's you will be comforted or you will laugh. Well, when? In the kingdom. Now, again, the ultimate fulfillment is in the future, but we do have some sort of foretaste access now. We talked about that. But it's that kingdom thing. It's an upside-down kingdom. You're mourning now, but you're going to laugh then, right? So it's a great picture. Those who laugh now, and, you know, that's going to be those who, you know, they're already content in their own good pleasure. They're not concerned for others 
who weep and mourn. They laugh now and they will mourn and weep later. Well, they're mourning and weeping. Why? Because they've missed out on the kingdom. So if if you get to laugh, if you get to be comforted, that's in the kingdom. But if you're going to end up mourning and weeping, well, that's because you've missed out. And there's a, I found a verse to kind of go along with this. Uh, Samuel, read Isaiah 61, verses 2 and 3. To comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Sion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Yeah. Yeah. And like the key in that was right in the center where it says gladness instead of mourning. You see the connection there, right? So Jesus is just pulling out stuff that this this is stuff that should have felt to his listeners as very common, ordinary stuff. But he's he's setting the stage. He's building it all up. We're always talking about the kingdom. Now, I definitely understand that the laughing and the mourning is a part of the they are part of the divine reversal that people will experience in the kingdom. But is do we know, like, for, with a level of certainty, like what someone is laughing about in the kingdom? Is it like they're looking back at their life at the mourning and the hardship that they experienced, and how small it seems or feels on the other side of things now that they're experiencing? the greatness and the abundance of the kingdom and the king. I'm ju- I guess I'm just trying to think, like, what is that person laughing about while they're in the kingdom? Yeah, that's that's a, a really good question. And I think, I think you're right. You're on it. It's, I mean, just imagine you're going to be in the kingdom. You got this big banquet. There's abundance everywhere, health, long life. Um, everything is good. What is there to not laugh about? You're, you're, you're just laughing because the contentment is is boiling over, so to speak. If that's a, I don't know if that makes it sound right, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and other than that, I mean, do we know any more specifically? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe somebody's got some good jokes up there. I feel like maybe I've experienced that a couple of times, especially on some like hiking trips where I see something so beautiful and like experiencing that foreshadowing of the abundance yeah. of creation and like. I just have this reaction where I just start laughing and it's yeah. like, you, it's weird in the, like now that I'm separated from that moment, it's like, why did I laugh when I saw that Vista or whatever? But that might be getting at, it's like, it's so unbelievable of what you're experiencing that like, you just have to laugh about it. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a great image. And you know, I would even call that in some measure, a foretaste of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I like it. All right. Uh, what's the next one? Uh, Matthew does this one by himself. Matthew 5, 5. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay. So, okay. There's this something kind of interesting here. So that word meek, we know what it means in English, generally speaking. And I think the Greek pretty much goes along with what we would normally think. You think of words like gentle or humble or mild or submissive. And what's really interesting is all of those words, when you think about them, those are things that are kind of within your control. 
you can be gentle and humble and mild, submissive. It's kind of like you choose it. But what's interesting, you know how sometimes we try to trace it back and go, well, what's the likely Hebrew word behind that Greek word? Well, the Hebrew word is, it's more like meek, uh, is more like poor and wretched and needy or even downtrodden, powerless, victimized, right? There are a bunch of things that are not within your control. And so I thought that was super interesting. So just like we had the poor versus the poor in spirit, and we saw how together they kind of enriched our understanding, well, the the Greek word and the Hebrew word together also kind of enrich our understanding. So, So what it means to be meek isn't just gentle, humble, mild, submissive, but also downtrodden, powerless, victimized, that kind of thing, right? So it's, I don't know. I think that's awesome. And then what does it say about them? It says, they shall inherit the earth or the land. Uh, Samuel, which land do you think it is that they're inheriting? I think it would be the land that God promised all the way back to Abraham. That's right. The promised land. Yeah. And again, we're right back to the kingdom. The kingdom runs through all of these. The throne of the kingdom is where, Samuel? It's in Jerusalem. (laughs) Jerusalem, yes. And it goes out. Everything goes out from there to the whole earth. And, I mean, think of it. If you're inheriting the land, that, that speaks of an end of the exile. And they were exiled, like, literally, when we talk about Babylon, but... They've been dealing with exile through like occupation and all kinds of other things all along. So to say that they're going to inherit the earth or inherit the land is probably the better translation. They're probably hearing in their own mind an end of the exile. This is an awesome, awesome thing. And do you remember, Samuel? I think we've talked about the promised land before, that it is supposed to be an image of what earlier thing? Um, isn't it supposed to be creation story the garden yes yeah the promised land is like the garden of eden so okay we hear it they're going to inherit the earth or inherit the land Uh, you know what that's no big deal to us we read right past that doesn't mean anything but imagine you're a first century jew and you're hearing the promised land the end of exile return to eden all of this this is a huge deal to them but again let's go back and see if we can find a verse that that kind of relates how about you read Psalm 3711? But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. That's practically word for word. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's awesome. So anyway, there you go. I have another question, Paul. Bring it on. Um, I love this context of thinking about a poor, wretched, needy, downtrodden Israelite who could be hearing these words that Jesus is speaking, but how would we take this beatitude for, let's say, someone that we see, like I live in Lexington, which is a pretty big city for Kentucky's terms, like someone who's homeless, and let's just say that their life, like they had a horrible upbringing, and then they basically have been living on the street their entire entire adult life. Maybe they have like some mental challenges or whatever, and maybe they Mm -hmm. haven't even had the opportunity to hear about 
who God is and his story, but they're experiencing this powerlessness, this victimization. Is Jesus saying that regardless of whether or not they heard the gospel, that because they experienced this significant hardship within this life, that God is still going to grant them to like the experience of being in the kingdom in the future? Yeah. Okay. So great question. And it's going to be one of those, you know, yes and no kind of answers. But let me, let me tell you what I mean. First of all, as a general rule, when we're talking about all of these things, whether it's poor or whatever we're talking about, there's that, that, uh, almost like a, a known foundational thing that says, look, th- this requires you to be faithful and loyal to God. This is all about those who are, you know, quote unquote, on team God. But we are so quick to judge people and put people in categories and all this kind of stuff. God, God sees into the very heart of man. And so one person who may struggle in a thing where another person does not struggle, God is going to give a very just weight, right? Like, like if, if uh, getting drunk could k- get you kicked out of the kingdom or something, I don't have to worry about it because I don't like alcohol. <laughs> so if I got drunk, that's probably a bad deal for me because it's like I had to go way out of my way just to try to do something bad. Mm-hmm. But other people, they're going to struggle a lot. They're, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to like give a pass to weakness or whatever, but I mean, you're, we're just being realistic. Some people, they struggle with things. And so there might be somebody else who, you know what, they struggle with alcohol and and God knows what they're dealing with. And so how he... Uh, relates to them, judges them, whatever, it's going to be different than the way he's going to judge me on on the same issue. So when you're talking about homeless people, especially when you're talking about, but they struggle, maybe maybe they have some sort of a mental issue, or maybe there's this, or maybe there's that. It's kind of like with uh, a child or or, uh, something, uh, somebody, they are not going to be held to the same standard as someone else. So you may see someone who is powerless, victimized, because of the very nature of their physical body, etc. There's nothing they can do about it. Yeah, you know what? They just might be free pass right into the kingdom. And then you may see someone else who's in a very similar situation of homelessness, but it's because of their stubbornness and their rebellion, hard-heartedness, uh, I, I don't know, laziness, whatever. I mean, you could think of all kinds of things that would put them in that situation and they may not get the same free pass. So it's a very complex issue. It's one where I think most importantly, we have to remember that's out of our purview. That's above our pay grade. We don't get to decide who doesn't, doesn't go, who does and doesn't go and all that. That's God. And we leave that in his hands, knowing that he is merciful and just and that he sees all. Mm-hmm. So again, it's kind of a yes and no. For a normal person, hey, you got to show the loyalty and the faithfulness. And if you suffer with some sort of a, I don't know, let's just call it a deficiency, um, that may very well just be your ticket in. Yeah. Does that kind of answer it? Yeah. I mean, regardless of whether we figure out the answer or not, it it 
it's real convicting stuff, especially like the next time I see a homeless person when I'm driving down the highway or something like on how I should like <laughs> should do something to try to give them a taste of that kingdom abundance by giving them food or something that just like not doing anything is 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 can real convicting yeah and it should be for all of us and you know what i i, I most people are not going to understand when i say this out loud but you've been around me enough to know charity is hard unless all you're doing is sending a check to an organization somewhere yeah that's easy but when you want to actually get down in the weeds and deal with people one-on-one and all of that, it becomes much more complex and much more difficult. And, and we need to be convicted and we need to be pursuing it. But boy, you're going to find it's not as easy as it looks. Definitely. All right. Shall we do more conviction? <laughs> <laughs> I think I can take a smidge more. All right. So Matthew 5, verse 6, and then Luke uh, chapter 6, verse, uh, first part of verse 21 and first part of verse 25. So Matthew says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then Luke says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Whoa, this sounds a lot like poor versus poor in spirit, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? So, okay, let's take a look at this. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. What are we talking about? Uh, This is someone who is longing for an end of sin or an end to sin. Someone who who wants a world of righteousness, which, I mean, that's the kingdom, right? Hungry, on the other hand, well, we're talking about empty bellies. Simple as that. So again, it's the same kind of question. Which is it, right? Just like the poor in spirit versus the poor, it could be the way they're telling their story. It could be that Jesus said it different ways at different times, whatever. But we get the advantage of getting to keep both. We're enriched by both. And so we're going to hang on to that. So about these two different kind of people, those who are literally hungry and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, well, it says that they shall be satisfied. Beauty is the kingdom answers both. There will be in the kingdom an end to sin. Righteousness will reign. And we've talked about this a number of times. The kingdom is a place or a time and a place of incomprehensible abundance. It's it's always and for everyone. So again, the kingdom answers all. And so kind of like the rich or those who laugh, right now, those who live in plenty without any concern for those who are needy, well, they're going to hunger. So you've got the rich and you've got those who laugh. At, see, these ones who live in plenty without any kind of concern for those who are currently needy, well, they may hunger for the kingdom, but they're not going to be satisfied. 
Now, just a little earlier, we had you read uh, Psalm 37, 11. What would be really good, we're not going to read it here, um, but for everybody listening, if you went back to Psalm 37 and read a bigger spot, maybe like verse 11 through, say, 17, that whole little section, it's going to talk more about this whole issue. Uh, but for now, Samuel, uh, I thought this was so cool. I wanted to go get something from the Old Testament, but I couldn't resist. This was too good. So remember back when we were going through the beginning, we had Mary. She she went off to see Elizabeth, and then she did the Magnificat, her her mm-hmm. little prophecy, song, speech thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, right in the middle of that, uh, let's see, Luke chapter 1, verse 53. Read that, Samuel. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Yeah. Isn't that exactly what we're talking about here? It really is. This is so good. So you can see all of these ideas that they're they're not new. Jesus is just sort of packaging them all together and he's keeping the concept of the kingdom forefront. So you can see uh see the value there. Yeah, I'm I'm I really am glad that you said that statement describing like the one who won't be satisfied, those who live in plenty without concern for those who are needy because I was going to ask you when you got done with this little section like how much should people be intentionally doing a bent in their life to purposefully experience hunger or want like in order to experience satisfaction and blessing later? I absolutely am not saying like depriving ourselves of what God has established for physical need and with our bodies like we saw back in when we looked at john the baptist that he was not saying that the flesh was bad or you know corrupted or sinful like that you got to like punish it or anything but you bringing that up is a good description that because i mean there's going to be very well endowed rich people who are also followers of jesus and like how are they just supposed to (laughs) treat this like but but how they use their abundance and their blessing to yeah. interact with those who are experiencing that hunger. Like, in, in a way, it's like they are kind of forsaking a meal or something, like, in the grand scheme of their wealth for someone yeah. else's benefit. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple things. Uh, it's not for us to judge, and it's not for us to decide for others. But we can definitely say this. It would be really, really difficult to take it too far. If you live in plenty, if you even are wealthy, you have wealth, whatever, if if you went so far as to live, you know, kind of like the poorest among us, and it was because you were always using it to care for others, dude, there's nothing wrong with that. And if someone else who is wealthy you know, lives a moderate or a, a, a modest lifestyle. They don't do without anything. They don't, they don't live in want, but they, they are extremely generous. You know what? That's great, too. We can't, like, you know, pick a level and go, oh, see, that's good, or, you know, oh, yeah, that guy's heart wasn't really in it. Or, okay, you don't know their story. You don't know everything. God's the one who judges the heart. But... I think for us to too quickly draw a line and say, well, you know, I I think I've given enough. Surely God doesn't want me to, you know, go further than this. Well, I don't know. 
Maybe he does. And maybe if you did it, you might be even more blessed, even more happy, right? It's up to the individual. And, and, uh, you know, I, of course, I guess somewhere in there, there is a line. There is a line where it's like, dude, you're actually becoming a burden to other people. Maybe you need to back off a little bit. So people do stuff like that, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, I, I, personally, and I'm working through this, I'm trying to become even more uh, generous every day, even more uh, uh, aware of things going around, me, uh, going on around me every day, all of those things. I, I'm on a path. And hopefully I, I get every day better, but you know, I can't sit and say that somebody else is doing it right. And somebody else is doing it wrong. Yeah. If anyone who's listening to this podcast is to this week's is experiencing <laughs> uncomfortable feelings and tension because we're talking about Jesus talking about how we're using our resources and wealth to help those who are less fortunate. That's because we're living in a world when the topic of money gets brought up that people freak out. So it's a, it's a tough, tough subject. Yeah. Ah, and you know what? I mean, it's certainly not our goal. It's not like, all right, start the tape. Cause we're going to convict everybody. Well, it isn't that it's just, you know what, what we are called to be as disciples of Christ. This is a high, high calling. Go with go with it with gusto, right? Let's do this thing. Yeah, it's you know. Well, I, go ahead. No, I, I see just, it. I mean, it's in your brain. You want to say something? <laughs> I I didn't bring up all of these questions to be contentious or to stir up debate among the two of us or people who are listening. Like they're they're honest questions that are coming up in my mind because I mean, just think looking at my own life, like. I'm currently working a job that, I mean, if you looked at the numbers in comparison to the amount of hours that I work, it's like, that's not really that great paying of a job in terms of how much schooling I went through and whatever. And so there's an aspect of Jesus's truth, like right in this week's study that's saying, regardless if I ever get another job that pays better than what I do now, like there's that hope that I'll like if I'm experiencing less than maybe what I had hoped for or what God intended on this side, that God is promising that there's going to be a more abundant time later for me to look forward to. And then at the same time thinking about, well, what happens if in another season of life, I am allowed to experience more financial freedom? Like, does God want me to prioritize like, you know, saving for retirement and that kind of thing, but then also like trying to be very uh, proactive and radical with how I'm using money to bless other people's lives, especially those who are hurting. So it's yeah. just, there's, it's all tensions that like should people should be wrestling with if, if like, if you're engaging in this like actively. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to wrestle. And, and these aren't the kind of issues that you wrestle with once and then it's all settled for the rest of your life. You're going to wrestle with these issues over and over and over as your life circumstance changes, as you meet different people and different circumstances, all that stuff. But, but it's good. It's good. I mean, that should tell you that you're alive. 
Yeah. That God is working in you, you know? That this is great. Yeah. And then it shows the timelessness of the biblical narrative that even, you know, first century Jewish context is causing people to think and feel convicted in oh yeah, western evangelical 21st century. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, speaking of timelessness or time, we're already out of it. <laughs> what the heck we need, happened? We need Huey Lewis in the news. Got to get back in time. <laughs> I don't think I have that sound effect, but yeah. Dang it. Yeah. I, you know, we really should stop. I mean, well, hey. It was good. We got a few Beatitudes in there. <laughs> More to follow. <laughs> Stick with us. That's right. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most Podcast. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you're notified when our episodes release on Sundays at 7 p.m. so that you never miss an episode. We also would really love it if you would leave a review and a rating on your podcast platform to tell us how Okie Dokie Most is impacting your life. Our content is now available on all podcasting platforms, so please make sure you check us out on your electronic device. You can also visit our official website at www.okidokimos.com for more information or to listen online. Finally, we'd love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments you have to okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we hope and pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.